It's good to see you all. I love that song that we sang. Um, In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. It's a great song. Just a great song. And I hope that's true for you. I hope that you're able to sing that song this morning with with, uh, conviction and passion and joy. Um, If you're a child of God, you should be able to sing with great exuberance and joy and and singing like that, singing songs like that is actually affirming, it's, it's really your spirit testifying with the Holy Spirit who dwells within you that those things that you're singing are actually true. So uh, thanks, God, and worship team for leading us in that. Um, can we bring the shades up a little bit? It just seems like everybody's kind of dark out there for some reason. <clears throat> I have to admit, <clears throat> I had forgotten how good flannel feels until this morning. <clears throat> Boy, it felt good to put this on, uh, this kind of weather. And then somebody tells me, somebody grabbed me during the greeting time and said, I have a pair of pants that matches your shirt. <clears throat> so if next week I show up with both, that'll be a, that would not be a good thing. <clears throat> this morning we're in week three of our four-week study of the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. Uh, In week one, we looked at the fact that the Christian life is a spiritual life, fundamentally, at its core. It's the life of the Spirit. It's made possible your, if you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, someone who believes, that's all made possible by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit within your life. Take away the Holy Spirit you don't believe, take away the Holy Spirit, you don't understand Scripture, take away the Holy Spirit's role in your life, and none of this makes any sense at all. So the Christian life is a spiritual life, through and through. Last week, Pastor Will took us to Romans 12, and he, and he covered a lot of the misconceptions that we have about spiritual gifts. And there are lots of misconceptions. And uh, uh, Will did a good job just kind of walking us through all of, <clears throat> all of those possibilities out of Romans 12. And by the way, uh, if you don't believe that spiritual gifts are um, a work of the Spirit and miraculous and supernatural, he covered 20 points in under 45 minutes. <laughs> the odds makers in Vegas had it at 50 to 1 that he wouldn't be able to do that, and he pulled it off. So, This morning, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be there in just a, just a minute. <clears throat> so if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to that chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, But I want to begin this morning with a little lesson in big words having to do with the Christian faith. When you study our faith, there are several different ologies, if you will, that pertain to our faith. Uh, The the suffix ology is from logos, logia, words, and so it's words pertaining to a particular subject. And so you're familiar with with ologies. uh, cardiology, the study of the heart, um, biology, life, geology, earth, anesthesiology, oncology. We learned all about oncology 35 years ago when our son Jesse was battling cancer. Archaeology, human history, genealogy. My wife is really into our, her family's genealogy, the study of family relationships or the family tree, if you will. Paleontology, zoology, the study of zoos, of course. (laughs) St. Louis Zoo, San Diego Zoo. Now, the ologies of the 
Christian faith help to give you a full understanding of what we believe as Christians? Theology, of course, the study of God. Theo, God. Christology, study of Christ. Soteriology, anybody? Salvation, soteria, salvation. Eschatology, eschaton. Yeah, the end times, the farthest point out in time, eschatology. Now, the two that relate to our study of spiritual gifts are the last two on the list. Pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, and ecclesiology, ecclesia, church, the study of the church, the nature of the church. And so it's those two that both today and next week that are going to be our focus, and especially ecclesiology in terms of having a good, accurate, biblical understanding of the nature of the body of Christ. The church. And so with that, we're going to see this morning what God's word in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has to teach us about the gifts of the Spirit, but also the nature of the church. And so as you're able, please stand as we read the passage for this morning. <clears throat> for just as the body is one and has many members... All the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, and yet one body. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We place ourselves under the authority of your word this morning, and I pray that you would use my words and my thoughts to um, encourage the saints and help us, Lord, to appreciate how you have designed the body of Christ. We love you, and we thank you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. And so the New Testament's number one metaphor to describe the church is the human body. A few other verses, God put all things under Christ's feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. Ephesians 5, we are members of his body. Colossians 1, he is the head of the body, the church. Colossians 2, holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that's from God. And of course, the passage in 1 Corinthians 12 is probably the primary passage talking about using the metaphor of the human body to describe the body of Christ. And so he says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. One body. Does anyone here have two bodies? Did you leave one in 
bed this morning and you brought the other one with you. No, we have one body, but that one body has many members. Now, in describing the human body, they break it down into the various systems. And we'll do a little, a little study this morning of how, how you're comprised. You've got the skeletal system. Uh, the bones, joints, cartilage, it protects and supports all the other bodily systems. The circulatory system, your blood, heart, arteries, veins, capillaries. Did you know, did you know that you have 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your body? And if you're 70 years old, your heart has beat about two and a half billion times thus far. Dave, that would be you, right? Or actually, a little bit more than that, a few more years than that. Uh, respiratory system, your lungs, other structures that carry and conduct air to and from your lungs, your muscular system, skeletal muscles that attach to the bones, helps you to move and helps you maintain posture, your nervous system, brain, spinal cord, nerves, 46 miles of nerves in the adult body. Nerve impulses travel to and from the brain at up to 170 miles an hour in your body. Here's a word that I wasn't familiar with, the integumentary system. It's your skin, your hair, your fingernails. That system actually helps regulate your body temperature. Your digestive system, from your mouth and your teeth to your gallbladder, pancreas, appendix, stomach. Your sensory organs, the eye, the ear, the tongue with its 10,000 taste buds, they get replaced every two weeks. The endocrine system, pituitary, thyroid, adrenal, your lymphatic system, filtering system, helps fight infections by attacking and destroying germs in your body. The immune system, this elaborate defense system that God has built into the human body. Urinary system, reproductive system. All of these make up your body, and they all work together. And each system has its parts. Your body's incredibly complex. You should marvel at its design every day. Every day you should marvel at the way God has designed your body. David said, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, my inward parts. So in the human body, there's the internal and there's the external. There's the parts of me that you can see this morning and parts of me that you can't see. The visible and the invisible. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, says Paul. So the question this morning would be this. Is the body of Christ as wonderfully complex and diverse as the human body? And the answer to that would be yes, it truly is. The body of Christ is fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, the first thing to me that's so remarkable is that the body of Christ is this merging together of both the physical and the spiritual. The body of Christ, the church, is this supernatural collective of people living in physical bodies who are then indwelt with the Holy Spirit then brought together into this spiritual entity where you become a part of a local body of believers, but also a universal body. Men, women, young people, children, people of all ages, all ethnicities, male, female, 
that make up the universal body of Christ on the earth even today. I was reading in, a, in Christianity Today this morning the art, an article about the Nigerian church suffering tremendous persecution at the hands of the Boko Haram and the Fulani tribesmen and, and how difficult it is for them to count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. And it just grieved my heart. It just, it just was causing me to just feel pain for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. And you say, how does that work? It's because they're a part of the body. We're, we, we are one with our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and our brothers and sisters in Iraq and our brothers and sisters in Turkey. And so you, you want to sense that oneness with the body of Christ. Otherwise, we're just sort of this little enclave of people in, in a very comfortable suburban area of St. Louis, Missouri. And then you take the body of Christ beyond time. It includes those over the several millennia who have gone before us today and the ones who will come after us should the Lord tarry. Friends, the body of Christ is beyond remarkable. It is beyond remarkable. And the kicker is that the eternal Son of God, Christ, is the head of this body of which you and I are members. So with all of that, let me make some observations from what God's word tells us here in 1 Corinthians 12. Observation number one, those of us who belong to the body of Christ should work to maintain the body's unity. Work to maintain the body's unity. Verses 12 and 13, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one spirit. The word, besides the word body that gets repeated in those two verses, the word is the word one. Now, this whole idea of oneness needs to be given a lot more thought and consideration because it is central, first of all, to who God is. And then it's central to what he is wanting to accomplish. See, it begins with the fact that the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. With Adam and Eve, they shall become what? One flesh. Paul talked about God bringing together through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, Jews and Gentiles, making them into what? One man, one new man. The verses in Ephesians 4, again, stressing the oneness, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And then we're called to work at this oneness. Philippians 1, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, here it is, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, we are called to pursue unity or oneness with each other in the local church in the body of Christ. Psalm 133, a verse that I memorized when I was in college, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. How good and pleasant that is in a world where there's not a lot of unity. 
for the church to see that there is unity in the church. Ephesians 4, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to do that. Ephesians 4, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So there's a timeline. Until, until that point when we all attain to the unity of the faith. 1 Peter 3, finally, all of you have unity of mind. 1 Corinthians 1, I appeal to you, brothers, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be what? United. See the idea of oneness? And so with all of our spiritual gifts, many, one body, many members, we need to work at maintaining unity in the body of Christ. It's really, really important to God. And so if you tie back to your spiritual gifts... The primary thing to keep in mind here is to use your gifts, use your abilities, use your service in the church in such a way as to maintain the body's unity. Don't ever use your services, don't ever use your gifts, don't ever use your resources, don't use your words, your attitudes, your actions to in any way bring disunity to the body of Christ. And so this got me to thinking, well, what are some of those things that, might, that we might be doing, maybe unconsciously, that can slowly and subtly damage the unity of the body? I think one is division versus seeking resolution, where you're causing division by taking sides in the church. You take sides in a disputed issue versus working for a unified solution. You know, as elders, we're continually dealing with issues in the life of the church. And I think one of the primary callings of a group of elders is to be eager to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. And so we work through things. And even as elders, you know, there are seven of us. Sometimes we, we start out with, well, we're not, I'm not quite on the same page that you're on. But let's talk this thing through. And then you just keep working it through and praying about it. And we just recently spent about an hour on an, on an issue trying to figure out how to, how to do this thing. And at the end of the hour, we all arrived right here together. That's the way it's supposed to work. And that's what you want to do in, in your collective areas in the local church, in, in your life groups, in your ministry teams. Don't take sides. Always seek for resolution. Self-care versus mutual care is another Another one uh, that can cause disunity in the body where, where, where we can be more concerned with self-protection and self-promotion and self-serving issues rather than the mutual care for others in the body and what they bring to the table. You know, Philippians 2 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others in the body. We'll be looking at that whole idea of care in next week's message as well. Hubris versus humility. Pride versus a posture of a humble servant. That can cause disunity in the body. It has to do with the heart. Um, pride damages the unity of the body. James 4 verse 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Critical versus being complimentary. You know, our old nature is so quick to be a critic, isn't it? Your old nature, my old nature is so quick to be the critic. 
and so slow to give a compliment or a word of thanks or a word of appreciation. That words of encouragement and appreciation and complimenting strengthen the body. You take that away, you starve the body of those things and the body starts to break down. And then the last one that I thought of is is being irresponsible versus being dependable. I hope you know how much that can hurt the body of Christ. Other parts of the body are counting on you and you you don't follow through, you don't show up. You you made a commitment to be there to do some ministry and you didn't show up and you didn't let them know you were coming. Boy, that hurts the the, the body of Christ. Um, Don't ever brush off being responsible as not being that important or assuming that whoever your ministry leader is or somebody that they can find someone else to take your place. Don't assume that. That damages the body. It hurts the body of Christ. In fact, I I kept working on this this week and just decided to sort of spin it out. I want to show you what can happen with someone serving in the church as a progression this next slide. What, what, I, what I often see happen is that someone in the, in the body of Christ, a new believer especially, or someone who's excited about their brand new church home, they start out with passion. Just, you know, they got energy. They got life. They just, they just want to go gangbusters. And so they're motivated to do whatever it is that they're called to do. But then things start to happen and, and frustration can settle, set in. They get frustrated with people. They get frustrated with things not working the way they're supposed to to work. And then irritation, frustration kind of becomes intensified where you get irritated in your spirit. And then irritation leads to exhaustion. I'm tired. I'm tired of doing this thing. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of working with people. I'm I'm tired of trying to make this thing work. And then exhaustion ultimately leads to resignation. I've seen that in the life of the church. I've been pastoring for 40 years. I've seen that progression right there a lot. Now, let me show you the way it should be. This next slide. Passion leads to motivation. And then there's appreciation. People are affirmed in their gifts and whatever it is they're doing. And then there's a sense of satisfaction, and the satisfaction leads to renewed passion. That's the way it's supposed to work, brothers and sisters. And all of that contributes to a healthy body of believers. And every single one of us in this room plays a critical part in that progression. So it's just simply a time for, to analyze yourself. Okay, what am I doing in that? Where do, I need to, where do I need to be doing more? Intentionally appreciating, intentionally affirming, intentionally helping someone feel a great level of satisfaction in what they're doing. So back to the exhortation, Ephesians 4.3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Second observation, number two, get rid of feelings of inferiority. If you have any feelings of inferiority in the body of Christ for who you are, where you, where you, where you are placed, the gifts that God's given you, whatever it is, if you're feeling inferior, you gotta get rid of those feelings. You gotta address them because they're not from God. The foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong. It doesn't make it any less a part of the body. The ear says, I'm not an eye, I don't belong. That would not make it any less a part of the body. See, So what's happening here is that a part of the body that feels less important or not as glamorous is having a pity party for itself. 
First, it's the foot, and the foot's comparing itself to the hand. Now, feet generally get covered up. They spend their day down in the dust. They're usually pretty much out of sight. They don't get a whole lot of attention. Do you know what August 17th is? August 17th. National I Love My Feet Day. (laughs) It's tucked right between August 16th, National Rum Day, and August 18th, National Honey Bee Awareness Day. Those are three days that I'm sure are part of your flow of observances. National I Love My Feet Day. It's It's a day for recognizing how important your feet are. And so you go out on that day and you get pedicures. Um, Think about it. Our feet are our primary mode of transportation. They quietly, humbly, faithfully help you to stand, walk, run, jump, balance, swim, play sports, skip, dance. The list goes on and on. But the feet have a poor self-image. (laughs) You know, they compare themselves to the hand, and they come up short. More people get manicures than pedicures. That's a fact. I I, I just made that up. I don't know. (laughs) Engagement rings and wedding rings go where? Your hands, not your feet. Hands get to shake other hands. We don't shake feet. Hands get to wave and clap in a worship service. Hands get raised in worship. We, we join hands with others. And so the foot looks at the hand and says, I'm not as important. In fact, the body could probably get along without me. And then he does the same with the ear, comparing itself to the eye. And the ear says, how come I'm stuck on the side of the head and not on the front like the eye? The eyes get all the attention. You know, look me in the eye. Eyes get to express virtually every human emotion. Your eyes express all of your emotions. Whereas the ear just sort of sits there not saying anything. And so the ear concludes that the eye is more important, more necessary, more appreciated, more honored. And maybe the body could get along just fine without me. Have you ever thought about the question, why do we compare ourselves to others? Why do we do this? What is it in human nature that causes us to always be making mental comparisons of ourselves with those around us? Taller, shorter, skinnier, fatter, smarter, dumber, prettier, uglier, more handsome, more athletic. And I get it, some of that's just inevitable. I understand that some of it's just simply inevitable. But brothers and sisters, a lot of it's really unhealthy. Really unhealthy if that means that's where you get your identity from, by comparing yourself to others. It usually brings with it a degree of envy. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, where, where did this get started? I think it got started in the garden. I really do. When Satan basically said, Adam and Eve, you need to compare yourself to God. God's got all the goods. You don't. You could. And that got inside their heart. They said, yeah, the serpent's right. And then what happened? Cain compared himself to Abel and came up short. Sarah compared herself to Hagar. Moses compared himself to people who were eloquent with their speech. 
The Pharisees compared themselves in a superior way to the average Jew. The disciples compared themselves to each other, wondering which one was Jesus' favorite. It was Teddy Roosevelt who said, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Why? Because it almost always leads to feelings of inferiority or superiority, and both of those are joy robbers. Say, well, Gary, what about in the church? Well, we're back to the foot, hand, ear, eye. What about in the church? I can tell you that over the years, I've, as that I've been a pastor, I've observed those who have been jealous or envious of others in the body. How come they're teaching and I'm not? How come they're up front singing and I'm not? She has a prettier voice than me. She's more creative than I am. He's a better leader than I'll ever be. And I can tell you that this self-destructive, joy-robbing mentality is found as well among pastors, where the average pastor compares himself to the superstar pastor, the rock star pastor, the Matt Chandlers and the Tim Kellers and the John Pipers of the world. See, none of us are immune to this. My daughter Erin shared with me from her devotional uh, last week, Stop comparing yourself. Stop comparing your life to hers, your relationship to theirs. Stop holding your life up against someone else's because it doesn't serve you in any way. Comparison is the death of joy. The only person you should seek potentially to outdo is whoever you happened to be yesterday. And so you see, friends, in the body of Christ, feelings of inferiority or superiority aren't from God. They're from the flesh, your old nature. They're from the world. Boy, the world will always have you comparing yourself to others. Did you know that? Just watch commercials this afternoon when you happen to be watching a baseball game or a football game or whatever. Just watch commercials. The world is, is it, it maximizes in trying to get you to compare yourself to somebody else or what someone else has and you don't have. And so this whole thing comes from the flesh, the world, but also the devil himself, who is the master of personal attack and accusation and who seeks to rob God's people of contentment and joy in the body of Christ. I'm really excited about next week's passage and message. I'll just give you a sneak preview. It has to do with honor and how Honoring others is the golden key to unlocking so much of the good in the Christian life. Honor. Observation number three. We need to recognize each member's indispensability. They're indispensable. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear... Where would be the sense of smell? And so Paul, Paul draws attention to the three sensory parts of your body, your eyes, your ears, and your nose. And he creates this visual image that's pretty easy to grasp. Picture the whole body being an eyeball. One big, giant eyeball. I mean, you might be able to see with way, way, way better than 20-20, LASIK vision, whatever, but you wouldn't be able to hear. 
How about one big giant ear, Paul says. Well, your hearing might be off the charts. You might be able to hear better than any dog, but you wouldn't be able to smell anything at all because that's why God made the nose. You see, each part of the body is indispensable is what Paul's saying. It's every part saying to the other parts, I need you. I can't do this without you. I need you to function. I need you to do your job. Our son, Jesse, doesn't have well-functioning sweat glands. He doesn't sweat. And so that when it's really hot outdoors, he can overheat because that built-in cooling device that most of us have in our bodies to maintain the right body temperature doesn't work so well with him. And so we have to watch out for him. We want to take care of his body temperature when his sweat glands aren't functioning. I need you. I can't do this without you. Or what about when you stub your toe? What about when you stub your toe? Ran across a little cartoon. Quiet, dear. Calvin will hear you. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you stubbed your toe? I think it was about 10 days ago I, I did that for me, actually. Stephen Um illustrates this for us in this way. Listen. When we stub our toe, our whole body reacts. Our legs react. We bend our knees and raise our feet. Our arms react. We reach down and grab our toe. Our mouth cringes. We yell. Our eyes dart to see what we stubbed our toe on. The body works seamlessly and organically together. There are no individual decisions to be made. The body reacts as a whole unit. It is not as though certain members of the body decide to opt out when they don't feel like assisting. And yet the body exhibits great diversity. Toes are unlike ears. Eyes are unlike elbows. Their diversity is not a hindrance to their unity, but absolutely necessary for it. And so, friends, what is essential for the unity of a healthy physical body is also what is essential for a healthy spiritual body of believers. Stephen Um, in his commentary on this passage, calls this complementary interdependence. Complementary interdependence. Complementary. My gifts complement your gifts. Your gifts complement my gifts. My abilities complement yours. Yours complement mine. My skills, my knowledge, my experience complements your experience. Your experience complements my experience. Interdependence. We each depend upon each other. We can't make it without each other. We need each other. And so just as my physical body, when I stub my toe, has this inherent organic interdependence among its members, the same is to be true in the body of Christ. Only the problem is we don't organically normally work that way. We've got these other things going on inside of us that that fight our complementary interdependence. There's that that self-protection and self self-everything. And in the body of Christ, that's what has to go. You need to continually put to death that self-focused, autonomous attitude of not needing others in the body. Or thinking that you need some, but you really don't need them. We could probably 
do okay without them. Observation number four. When it comes to the design of the body of Christ, God takes full responsibility for it, and God gets all the glory for it. God doesn't put this on anybody else. God says, you got complaints about the body of Christ? Talk to me. I'm the one who designed it. I'm the one who assigned where the members of the body should go. I'm the one who gave certain abilities to certain individuals, just as I gave certain abilities to certain parts of your physical body. The ear does not get to smell. The nose does not get to hear. And God says, I did that. Verse 18, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. In Ephesians 4, verse 5, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, which he gave to each one of us. And so, brothers and sisters, the body's interdependence here at West Hills The interdependence of the body isn't a weakness. It isn't a problem. It wasn't a design flaw at at manufacturing stage. It was a design perfection. It was God's design to have complementary interdependence within the body of Christ. And you pull back and you say, why? Why in his wisdom did God do it this way? And it brings us back to where we started. Think with me. There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of all. We are to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. It all goes back to God's ultimate purpose in everything that he is doing. Ephesians 1 verses 9 and 10. The mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, here it is, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. One body, Christ the head, we're all members of it. Why? Because that's what God's doing right there. So that when people on the outside of the church look at how a healthy church functions and they see glimpses of the beauty of the body of Christ, where the members of the body are dependent upon each other, they take care of each other, they watch out for each other, they feed each other, they defend and protect each other, they give strength to one another, they help the other members of the body to function according to how God has designed and gifted them, they appreciate each other, they thank each other, they compliment each other. When the world on the outside sees all of that happening in little glimpses and glimmers, they are actually catching a glimpse of a restored humanity. Before it was damaged at the fall, when everything got broken and twisted and deformed. And through all of this, God is bringing it back to the way it's supposed to be. 
And you, you play a critical role in all that God is wanting to do. Therefore, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, with this we close. Please take this, take this personally. Make it your own. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another in the body of Christ. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And what's the objective? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Would you take just a minute, please, and respond to whatever the Spirit of God who dwells within you would be saying to you this morning? He may be, he may be wanting to encourage you, just reminding you you're a child of God. You're gifted. I'm doing a good work in your life. Hang in there. Keep going. He may be exhorting you and convicting you to do a better job of encouraging your brothers and sisters to be less of a critic and more of a someone who compliments and encourages. Maybe you've been taking sides lately in the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit would say, don't do that. Please don't do that. It grieves me. Whatever the Lord is saying to you, just respond to it in some way. Lord God, we marvel at how you have designed our bodies. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then we turn and look at the body of Christ. Forgive us first, Lord, when we don't believe that to be the case with the church. We are human, we have lots of flaws, we have lots of imperfections. We have our cancers, we have our germs, we have those things about us that don't work as well as they should, and yet the body of Christ is fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you, Lord God, for designing the body of Christ just the way it is. Thank you for the members of this body here at West Hills. Thank you for the visibles and the invisibles. Thank you for the ones who speak and the ones who serve. Thank you for those 
who may wish that they were something else. I pray, Lord God, that you would encourage them to to recognize just how important they are, how indispensable they are. Lord, make us a body of Christ here at West Hills that is healthy, strong, loving, caring, using whatever gifts and abilities that you've given to each of us to serve each other. That the world might catch glimpses of a restored humanity. Lord Jesus, as we think about the body, we think about the fact that you gave your body. You gave your blood. You laid your life down for us that we might become a part of the body of Christ. We praise you today. We thank you for this. As we take the bread and we drink the cup this morning, we do so remembering, honoring, celebrating our salvation through Christ. Looking forward to that day when we will be with him, see him face to face. We will be seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb because of the grace of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. We pray in Christ's name. Ushers, please come.